Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, thank you for joining, and welcome to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Maya from the Instagram account at Caribbean Snowflake. Maya tells her story of her beautiful son, Leo, who was tragically diagnosed with NKH a few days after birth and died in her arms at 12 days old. Maya and her husband then went on to have their gorgeous son, Freddie, following genetic testing and IVF. Stay tuned to hear their journey. Good morning, Maya. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Zoe? I'm very well, thank you. Um, So you're sitting in your study at 6.30 in the morning and it's 3.30 in the afternoon here and... (laughs) 12.30 12.30 in the UK, I guess. Oh, the wonders of modern technology. There we go. We made it. It was um, quite complicated <laughs> for me to work out a time to see you, to speak to you, because I was like, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> I've had a few sips of coffee, so hopefully I don't fall asleep. <laughs> and we've, we've recognised we've got the same mug, which I think is quite cool. Mm, very cool. Made world. it in in the Cayman Islands and in Dubai. So there we go. So um, my, I tend to start my podcast with the same question, which is how you met your husband. I mean, we could spend all day on this. Um, I and met him, the very short story, um, is on a ski holiday. We were out as university students, or I think we were just post-university, out on a ski trip in France. And frankly, we really didn't like each other. <laughs> We were there with a lot of mutual friends and um, yeah, it was a it was a really fun trip, but he was actually working out in the ski resort and I was there on a jolly and I was pretty drunk most of the time and pretty obnoxious and annoying. Um, and luckily our paths crossed again um, a kind of couple of months after that trip and I guess I may have been a little more sober. He wasn't as stressed out working and sparks flew and I think as they say the rest is history um yeah we realized that we actually did pretty much have all the same friends and liked the same things and yeah that was oh my goodness 2008 I think wow so yeah. eight nine ten I don't know I have to do it my hands years ago <laughs> so um what brought you and then you're actually in the Cayman Islands yes that's right yeah didn't get that wrong and so you moved out there 10 years ago yeah we did um another mutual ski friend of ours um moved here and we started also um kite surfing and wakeboarding in the UK I guess we're kind of extreme sports peeps and and wanted something to get out of the city of London um at weekends so we started doing these other sports out and about around the UK and took up, took up kite surfing with our friends down in um, down in Exeter and went out on a ski holiday on a ski holiday on a kite surfing holiday to Turkey and this friend of ours that had moved to the Cayman Islands also joined us in Turkey and whilst 
all of us Brits were out in Turkey being like, this is glorious. We're kiting around in bikinis and it's so warm. And he was like, well, it's warmer in Cayman Islands and the sea's bluer. And, you know, everything was better about the Cayman Islands to the point where after a week of it, we were like, look, just shut up. Like, we get it. The Cayman Islands is awesome. Good for you. And kind of on the way home, he was like, well, you, you could just move to the Cayman Islands, you know. And we were like, yeah, haha, great. Good one got back to the UK in August, it was pissing rain, and we were like, we really should move to the Cayman Islands. And a couple of months later, we packed our bags and gone. My husband got a job. I quit mine. And and literally, we were off. We decided to come for, you know, a couple of years, see what the effects of that life was like, and get Mm -hmm. out of London, and do something different. And I guess we liked it, because here we are. There you are. And what is expat life like there? It's brilliant. It's really, really lovely um we call our we call our Cayman friends our off Cayman family um and they really are and, and it's such a small island that sometimes it can be um a bit cabin feverish life in a goldfish bowl but on the whole the lifestyle is amazing and um, the people out here are kind of all like-minded I guess because they've all picked up and, and left and gone somewhere else but there's a real um mix of different nationalities and backgrounds and cultures and um, local um, Kimanians are, are really open on the whole to um, expats living on their little slice of paradise. So, yeah, um, I'm wearing a T-shirt, actually, that says Cayman Kind. Aww. Um, yeah. Thank you. So that's, that's the kind of ethos around here, Cayman Kind. That's so nice. So now everyone's going to be moving to the Cayman Islands. Okay. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> So, right, I've got you on here today to talk to me about your son, Leo. Can you, um, I don't know, can you start by telling us about your pregnancy? Sure. My pregnancy was pretty dreamy. Um, don't hate me. But yeah, I had, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really good, to be honest. I didn't feel sick. I didn't, I didn't really have any kind of, of the classic nasty um, pregnancy symptoms. Felt really good all the way through other than the kind of, dropped dead tiredness at the beginning but otherwise yeah just completely normal completely healthy super active walking the dog all the way through felt great um and I actually well kind of this makes sense of it a bit later on but I remember someone asking me how I was finding pregnancy and I was like yeah you know I'm not one of those people that loved being pregnant but I really didn't mind it and I remember saying yeah you know I wouldn't necessarily sign up for another nine months straight away, but, you know, nine months I can handle. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, to- it, was, it was great. And then um, my blood pressure started to rise a little bit at the end. And so my doctor did actually say kind of, and, the, and when I say at the end, I mean like 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. My doctor did actually say we, we might need to watch this. But I went into labour the next day. Oh, really? And yeah um and again in a really kind of um normal way I guess um so I started having contractions at home they were completely manageable not you know anything major and we went out wakeboarding I drove my husband around did you yeah I drove the boat whilst (laughs) he wakeboarded off the back oh my god and when we got home I said to him actually it's it is getting a bit painful now I think we should go to the hospital so off we went and um leo was born that night wow just like that yeah just like that like literally completely normal completely yeah no alarm bells amazing pretty good labor um yeah 
What's it like in as a midwife? What's it like in the Cayman Islands? Is it is is it doctor led or midwifery led? Doctor led, yeah. So you don't really. That's changing. It's very much changing. Um, a friend of mine has actually moved here to the, as a midwife recently, and she's oh, nice. um, yeah, kind of leading that charge. Um, as a lot of women are looking for um, midwife led um, deliveries, but and you can opt for that at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, you see an OB through throughout the pregnancy um, mm. and and now midwife. And um, there's the option there. But for me, it was um, OB led. And when I got to the hospital, um, met the midwife then that was going to be with me yeah. um, through throughout. Well, for, for the for the rest of her shift, which which for me was was the rest of um, the delivery. Um, there's midwives um, from all over. Um, as well so all kinds of backgrounds but they're they're an amazing team that's really really amazing facility here so um, for a small island we're really lucky yeah yeah so you had Leo and yeah everything was perfect from what I can understand yeah everything was brilliant he was born completely seemingly you know a normal baby um, he was crying, he was put on my chest, he was just wonderful. He was an absolute kind of picture of perfection. And we, well, you know, in the normal way, was, we, he was checked, he was given to me, skin on skin, a bit of feeding. We were wheeled back to our room. And then, so that was now, it's really late on, it's actually Sunday morning, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Sunday morning when um, we were up and about, but we had a completely normal day, visitors to the hospital. So you stay in a couple of nights here Yeah. Um, after it's, it's all um, private health. So yeah. um, they do keep you in for a couple of nights. But that Sunday, yeah, loads of visitors to the hospital, just a completely normal day. Um, Rich bought me some takeaway in the evening. Then we were kind of, let's, you know, I'll get some rest. You go off, have the head wetting. Um, and then Monday... <laughs> Um, he rolls in a bit hungover um, and again a fairly normal day um, but Leo wasn't really eating and you know you kind of as a as a new first-time mum you kind of you know every so often I was trying to breastfeed him but it's sometimes mm-hmm. you know you hear it works for people it doesn't work for others and they were saying mm-hmm. they might have to top him up with a bit of formula nothing about that was stressing me out at all mm-hmm. I was just like well I guess breastfeeding you know it might not work that's a bit of a shame but whatever he'll need to be topped up and um when the doc um the, the pediatrician now came to check on him she said oh, well, I'm a bit concerned that he's looking a bit bit weak which I found surprising because the midwife just the previous day had said oh he's got such strong legs because he was kicking her in the belly when she was trying to change his nappy and um Rich played rugby so I was like oh yeah rugby player legs and so then when the <laughs> Um, when the paediatrician said she he is looking a bit weak, we really need to get some food into him. We are a bit concerned. Maybe we'll run some tests tomorrow. And um, in the meantime, it does look like he's got a bit of a tongue tie, so we should look into getting that snipped. And all the time, I was just thinking, yeah, all of that sounds fairly standard. You know, they did mm-hmm. kind of say, mm, you know, it could be something genetic and we were like well what and they were like oh no we don't know you know that's kind of you know we'll look into that we'll, we'll see what we'll just do some standard tests tomorrow and we'll, yeah. we'll see what's happening and then that was yeah that was the whole of Monday and at about quarter to seven in the evening so just before the midwife um shift change in the evening the kind of head midwife who 
we love and we knew her um, before and she'd really taken care of us came in and she sat at the end of the bed and she said I'm going to take him into the nursery and I literally just taken a bite of burrito and just kind of threw it down on the side and burst into tears and I was like I, I don't even think that nursery registered to me as an EQ but I just knew he was being taken and that he not wasn't very well mm-hmm. and it was just such a shock it came out of nowhere and I said, I'm really upset. I didn't see this coming. And she said, I know, I know. But, you know, hopefully everything's fine. We just need to get some food into him. And he's not taking it from the cup or, you know, the bottle, however they were trying to feed him. We need to get a tube into him. And I think the worst thing about this was that it was the shift change. So we were going into yeah. a night shift and didn't have – she was wonderful and she stayed with us and, you know, she kind of answered as many questions as she could. But we didn't really have any questions. We were just completely – shocked and speechless and dumbfounded so she was like I'm gonna take him away um and could you go with him we we had 24-hour access but we didn't really know what any of the like what what you know him being in there meant you know how often we were supposed to be in there with him which I I now know you know I could have not left his side but I was and I wanted to carry him, but they, they won't let you because you've just had a baby. So I think yeah. they always think you're going to drop your baby in hospital. Yeah. I'm not really sure why. Um, and yeah, that's the, the same worldwide, that one. Yeah, it's really annoying. <laughs> it's a funny it? rule, isn't like, it? Yeah. Like, of all the things, like, I'm really not going to drop this, but maybe you know, there are studies <laughs> otherwise. But anyway, so I was allowed to, you know, kind of wheel him in. and We wheeled him in and met the nurse. And, um, and then we were kind of like, right, well, leave him here then. And so I went back to my room and I'm kind of like, what the hell is going on? And Rich went home and that was probably the shittest night of my life. And I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but probably well, not, not worse than the day he was diagnosed with the day he died, but just awful. Like you're just not meant to be separated from your baby two days after yep. they're born and Absolutely. your husband and your home. And like, it's a long, long night of nothing, yeah. knowing nothing of being completely confused sleep deprived I mean neither Richard or I slept a wink um you know constantly texting back and forth saying you know what about this what about that oh some you know picking up on something that someone had said throughout the day and you know mm-hmm. trying to yeah trying to you know reason um with zero information me pump getting you know pumping every couple of hours and then plodding down the hall to give the nurse a little um a little bit of milk so that she could put it in the tube and then just standing there looking at him but the nurse on that shift actually as much as I rave about the nurses at our hospital then the nurse on that particular shift wasn't the best not for us just being admitted in sneak you um and she, she had babies to look after and that is her priority and I get it mm-hmm. but she really wasn't there for me okay. um and so that made it you know all the worse because I wasn't getting anything back I was walking into the nursery she was taking this milk from me and then I was like right then you know I'll look at him a bit and stroke him a bit I had no idea at that he wasn't he was only on the feeding tube so uh, well I guess he had a um oh did he have anything else on him I can't remember no I don't think so maybe they were taking his pulse um whatever that was too early in the morning I can't remember what that's called um But, you know, I didn't, I could have at that time still, you know, picked him up and held him, had him, I could have slept with him on my chest. I could have done all of those things, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was open to me. Um, and then the next day, Tuesday, Rich comes in 
and we had a long day of tests. They did um, an ultrasound um, of his spine. They did all kinds of blood tests. There were doctors in and out. So then we were with him, but it was a busy day. It was a really yeah. busy day. The tongue tie got snipped. We tried to feed. You know, there was all of these conversations with doctors. And no answers, really. Things that were potentially looking positive because the ultrasound in the spine was was pretty good. They, you know, some of the things they were worried about came back um, clear. His hearing test came back well. So, you know, kind of, um, yeah, windows of positivity. And how, how was no Leo? He was not responsive, really. He was right. really sleepy. He didn't really, I mean, he didn't open his eyes from kind of this, I think the first day we were in hospital, or maybe the second, we didn't really see his eyes. He was just sleepy and, and, and floppy. We did, a, I think, have a few cuddles, and then we were still on the feeding tube. And about 10 p.m. that night, we went home. I was discharged. Um, and that, again, another, like, just anyone who has left their baby in hospital, you know left them whether it's in NICU but I'm sure it's the same for pediatrics but NICU mm. when you just had a baby and you leave and you know you're not taking your baby home in the car seat they're staying there it's just wrong but you're leaving I'm sure you've spoken to many women on this podcast already it's just wrong um and I was broken I was I was I was properly broken still hadn't slept and just I think we picked up some uh, chips on the way home and I just <laughs> sat eating like one or two soggy chips in the car then got home and had to pump. And by this point, I was, you know, shaking. Like, my body was actually just just shutting down. Exhausted, yeah. Shake, yeah, shaking, but sweating, you know, all of that. And still, oh, you know, all the um, hormones pumping around. And still, yeah, had to pump. Had a shower. I hit the pillow for a couple of hours. And then I got up to pump and um, managed to. And went and woke Rich up and said, I'm going back to the hospital. It was about four in the morning. I was like, I just, uh, this isn't, I can't be here. Yeah, there's no point. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I want to be back at the hospital. So I went back um, and so it's kind of now 5am and he, we were trying to kind of give him a little bit of the milk orally and then he was having the rest um, through the tube. And I had a few cuddles with him then. And I remember taking some kind of blurry pictures because you have to put your, I mean, now it's probably even worse with with um, COVID, but I had to still put my now I was discharged. I had to be in a gown. So you kind of you've got that degree of separation when you're coming in, aren't you, from um, externally. So I had to put my phone in a plastic bag. So I'm taking like a blurry picture through a yeah. Ziploc bag of me, like giving him a cuddle. And he just, I just remember him being so cute and so perfect and sending it um, to a friend of mine being like, how is that? Like, there can't be anything wrong with him. Look how perfect he is. And... And then Wednesday morning, our paediatrician um, had said that she was going to get a second opinion and ask her colleague, and we now know a really good friend, um, to join her at the hospital at kind of 8am. So Richard come in for that. He'd come in a couple of hours earlier. Um, and he'd come in. So we were waiting for the doctor to arrive. And by this point, we had uh, a new NICU nurse who um, was just a legend, um, that she was the head of NICU at the time and she was there for the two doctors arriving and so they start kind of comparing notes you know what was he doing yesterday what's he doing today that kind of picking him up and waving an arm and opening his you know all the kind of standard um, newborn checks they're doing all of those checks and comparing notes and as they're doing them they're saying he's floppy blah, blah, blah. as they're doing them this head nurse says uh 
is anyone watching his oxygen levels? And, you know, heads swivel to the screens and his oxygen levels are dropping. And they're dropping badly. So they do, um, they, they take his oxygen levels um, and do the, the old heel prick and take it as bad. So um, they put him on the CPAP, they, they give him the mask and mm-hmm. the oxygen mask and then they continue their checks and kind of, I don't, I don't know what, t- what sort of time passed, but it didn't feel like very long. Mm. This nurse again, Kerry pipes up and is like, um, oxygen. So they heal prick again, bad. And at this point they say, we're going to intubate him. Is that every, you know, we've gone from, you know, the day before, or, or two days before, you know, cuddles, which he just needs a feeding tube to, we're now intubating. And we're kind of taken from the room. My friend, another friend of mine has arrived. She's a pediatric nurse. Absolute, again, legend. Um, don't know what we would have done without her because she's explaining everything that's going on. She was like, you really don't want to see this. So taken from the room, little boy is intubated. And then the doctors say to us, you need to go to Miami. This isn't, this isn't going to be great. You are looking at a se- severe disability at best and we're not guaranteeing that he's going to make it to Miami and even then wow I was kind of like you know disability you can deal with you know kind of constantly reframing what your family life is going to be like in your mind from completely normal baby to severe disability okay like you know if he doesn't run that's okay like what what can we cope with what what is this going to look like and but at the same time you're doing calculations in your in your mind of are we going to be able to stay in Cayman? Do we need to move? How long are we going to be in Miami for? All of this stuff's going on. But then they're saying, you know, he might not make it. And one of the paediatricians, we've got an amazing paediatric team here, says, I think it might be something like non-catrotic hyperglycinemia. Well, when someone says that word to you, you're like, yeah, what? Like, that's a load of consonants that in a row. Yeah. Don't <laughs> but, like, fine. Um, and we're like, well, what's that? And she kind of explained what it was. We're like, well, it doesn't sound that great, but okay. Still doesn't really, didn't really understand because she said, you know, it's where glycine becomes, becomes toxic. And all of these things that you're like, that's just a load of words and it's mm-hmm. 9 a.m. and what yeah, is no, going absolutely. on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we were told that we're going to Miami and friends came to the hospital to sit with us and um, kind of, get us ready to go but it took the whole day to get organized can I ask a, a stupid question um yeah. geogra- geographically what does that mean from the Cayman Islands to Miami um it's a 45 minute flight right so not dissimilar to you know having to get from kind of London to Edinburgh um yeah. but it's a different country obviously yeah. so mm-hmm. the paperwork he needed a passport in a day um you know all of this stuff. he needed a um uh, criminal records check no he spent three days in the UK. <laughs> I don't think he's robbed any banks but um yeah I mean all of that's needed to, uh, our friends are amazing in helping us sort all of that and then um getting organized from the flight but it was, wasn't until I heard the pediatrician talk to the doctor in Miami that was kind of admitting us or, or giving us a spot um, in the NICU there. It wasn't until I heard her say on the phone, I've got a little baby here, three days old, on life support. Mm. And it wasn't until I heard her say that, that I made the connection between incubation and life support. And I know that sounds ridiculous. No, but it I doesn't. I didn't know 
intubation was like, oh, he needs that help breathing. But like dirt, it's life support. Like if you can't breathe, you're on life support. But something about her he- overhearing her say that was like, oh my God, my baby is on life support. Like that's a whole different ball game. But also you, you've gone from in such a short period of time from having a normal healthy pregnancy, a normal healthy baby to a few days down the line suddenly finding yeah. yourself in this position and your your brain can't process all of that information all at once it has to it no. has to take what it can on in, in little snippets to finally get to you know the end conclusion so I think yeah I think that's normal it's, it's got to be that you know if not you would just be on the floor presumably. yeah yeah but but also there is a lot I think about Niku life and I think a lot of people say it's that you you kind of have to learn really quickly yeah, yeah no and, so and you know we had a, a really really good friend in, in our pediatrician nurse Janelle um who was explaining as much as possible and she shielded us from the intubation and explained that there would be a tube and blah blah but even she didn't say by the way you get that this is life support right like he is no longer breathing on his own like this is life support and so you absolutely the doctors and nurses focus on the baby and that's their priority and we had Janelle explaining as much as possible but no one focuses on you and and Mm. that changed a little bit when we got to Miami because the facility there is just vast and it's a it's a specialist children's um hospital so they have people there that are solely there for the parents um which is incredible but but right there then it was like oh life support that's really fucking bad mm. <laughs> you know this is this is real now even though they'd said he might not make it to Miami I was like life support right and so you know with that comes a whole circus frankly of getting out of the country um I think there were like four ambulances a private jet three nurses um that flew down from Miami they're called um life flight team they come right. straight from the hospital. They're in touch with the hospital in Miami the whole time. They're, they like barcoded everyone, uh, every piece of Freddie's, Freddie, sorry, Leo's apparatus. And they were literally scanning um, all of his, as they were doing bloods in flight, they were scanning it, sending it back to the hospital. So by the time we got there, which was a process, I mean, we still had to go through like customs and immigration um, in Miami. And, and I mean, we... <laughs> We, we barely took off from Cayman because as we were kind of ready on the tarmac and we've got a baby on life support, Leo's there and he's on tanks, on oxygen tanks. And the pilot, who's a specialist pilot for Medivac um, situation, said, I'm actually missing a bit of p- paperwork for Miami and currently they're not letting me take off. Oh, um, or they're not let, they're not going to let me land and the nurses were freaking out they were like get this plane off the ground we are on oxygen tanks and I was like we are not taking this circus back to the hospital at this point I can't face turning around and and we and at the last minute he was like we're going and I was like well did you get the paperwork and he was like no but I'm either going to get it during the flight or I'm just going to declare a medical emergency over Miami and then they'll have to close the airport and we'll be, <laughs> we'll, we'll be on the ground. So I was like, well, that's one way to arrive, isn't it? <laughs> I just declare a medical emergency over America. Um, and, but that did, they, they got the paperwork and, and, you know, we made it in in a slightly less dramatic fashion and off we were to, to the hospital in Miami. So there we were at the children's hospital, um, 
like I say, just like landing on the Starship Enterprise really just, I mean, an unbelievable facility. It really is like something out of the future. Um, so we finally had our own private room with Leo and there was a little sofa bed, um, which makes it sound way comfier than it was. But it, it was somewhere for us to sleep in the room with him. Sounds ridiculous, but for the first time we were a family all together. Yeah, like we, we were able to kind of live with him, yeah. um, even though he was, you know, in his little cot and connected up to a million beeping machines. Um, and then it was 24 hours, you know, there were doctors in and out. They, they descended on him because we'd arrived, I think, early hours of the morning, probably around one. I can't really remember. And they went nuts um, starting to do tests. And then the next day, Thursday, full day of tests, and we were presented with all sorts of different options of what it might might be or might not be. And and kind of every time they ruled something out, you know, it's probably getting a little bit worse. But there were there were still pockets of hope. But now this word non-catotic hyperglycinemia starts getting batted around more often. And we were like, oh, we've heard that one. We've heard that one before. We heard it before we even left Cayman. And we'd messaged the doctor been like just double checking is this what you said and she was like yeah we were like oh it's getting spoken about here now you know crap (laughs) that's not good um and we started reading now about nkh which is how it's known because non-catotic hyperglycemia ain't that easy to say and we were like yeah this isn't this isn't great and anyone living with it um will tell you that it's it's crap and it's terminal and, you know, the quality of life is fairly rubbish, um, even in a in a mild case. Um, and that was where we, you know, we, we'd spoken about um, over the previous days of what sort of quality of life we were we were kind of prepared mm-hmm. to, to put on him or to or for ourselves to live with, frankly. Um, you know, you do everything for your child, but you've got to make family decisions, too. Mm-hmm. And um, we had these specialists kind of talk us through um, what they would be looking for if it was NKH. But then they started saying that, you know, if to get a genetic result um, would take weeks. And we were kind of like, we can't, we can't do this for weeks. Like we can't live with no answers for weeks and knowing that he could, you know, have a terminal condition. um, And, babies with NKH can start breathing on their own. They can start to tolerate the toxic levels of glycine and start breathing again on their own, but never recover from the symptoms of NKH, Yeah, which is, so now again, like stay with me for a minute, but, but you, at that point we knew that we, if it, if it was a severe case, case of NKH, if that's what he had, we wanted to know because we wanted the option of removing life support and not getting to a point of him not having a quality of life, but having learned to breathe again mm-hmm. and being completely, you know, not here. Um, and so that was then, now we were in a race against time of getting answers and we wanted answers badly and we were pushing for them. We'd now, we'd now been in this situation for long enough that we, we kind of knew, right, this is, he's out, he's our child and we need to make good decisions for him um, and he needs to not be in pain because we were being told that he was having seizures and he'd been given sedatives and we were like this is oh, no. not cool either figure out what's wrong with him and make it better or make it kind of you know better for him or let's get this diagnosis and let's let's kind of end this this misery 
So at this point, friends had flown in from Cayman and we'd told family to, to kind of book flights and, and come out and have a chance of meeting him or at least support us. This is Thursday and then Friday was the MRI and that was the big thing we were waiting for. Um, they We knew they'd done the spinal tap to send off for genetic testing, but the MRI was going to tell us about what was going on in his brain. Mm-hmm. And if it was a severe case of NKH, they would know that from, from an MRI. Um, and because there would be no corpus callosum, that's what they're looking for. Um, so I'm getting a bit technical, but long story short, in a two hour MRI, an hour and I think 15 minutes in, we were called back to our room. Rich and I had gone for a walk. We were called back to our room and the geneticist and um, the neuroscientist. Why can't I hear? Is that the name for a brain doctor? Why am I blanking? Anyway, the brain guy. Neurologist. Um, yeah. They sat us down and were like, yeah, there's basically no corpus callosum. We have liaised with the NKH research experts um, up in Colorado and Boston. I believe they were based there then. They showed us emails and WhatsApp messages where they'd sent Leo's results to them and said, what do you think? And they'd responded with classic severe NKH. And you think you're going to break down at that point. But we were like, okay, this is actually what we wanted. This is this is the kind of absolutely conclusive result that we need to make a decision for our son. We didn't want any kind of grey area. Obviously, when they, they left the room, we kind of obviously completely broke down. But we knew exactly what we needed to do. And we made the decision to re- withdraw life support. And everyone in the hospital supported it. So we knew we were making the right decision. And I remember the nurses saying, you know, you guys are incredible. You're such awesome parents. And you're, I was like, doesn't really feel like it right now. Like I am signing a bit of paper to say I'm removing life support. Like I'm making that choice for him. And it's a hor- horrible, horrible, horrible. It's just the, the bravest decision in the whole world. I think. That's yeah. Thank you. Um, incredible. It, yeah. So can I, sorry, we, can I just very briefly stop you yeah. just to, can you explain to the listeners what NKH is? So NKH is a genetic um, disorder. It's caused by a, um, a mutation um, in our genetic makeup, so mine and Rich's, and we both carry the same mutation. It's really, 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 really unlikely that you'll ever find another person with it and then yeah. kind of have babies and, and be <laughs> caught in this situation but it, once you both carry a mutation and you know that you do you've got a one in four chance of passing it on to your children so effectively the options are that we if we have more kids so or, or you know in Leo's case Leo Leo had he got both of our mutations and that's a perfect yeah. storm once, once you pass on both then you get NKH if we were to pass on, if if another um, child had my mutation or Rich's mutation, they'd be carriers, which is what we are, and not present any symptoms, they'd be fine. Um, or they could not, because you have kind of, you have two gene strands on each. I'm not a geneticist or a genetics counsellor. You're but doing really well. <laughs> you, have each, you have kind of two of each gene strand. So, there's, you know, um, Freddie, our son, um, our second is, it's clear he, he he didn't get either of our mutations, which is wicked. Um, but 
a baby would be fine if, if they were like us, if they were just a carrier with only one mutation. Understand. But Theo, yeah, absolutely. Theo got both. both. Um, he was unlucky. And a friend of mine put it really nicely, actually, afterwards. She was like, trust you and Rich to be so perfectly matched. You even have the same fucking genes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really sweet. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, yeah, so he was unlucky. And so, and so yeah, this, um, this error, if you like, on the GLDC gene um, means that you're unable to process glycine and it becomes highly toxic um, and causes all kinds of nasties. Um, but yeah, a, an inability to, um, well, well, it becomes toxic to the brain for starters, yeah. um, but it just means that you're not able to develop. And in, in Leo's case, he hadn't actually developed in, in his brain at all. Um, okay. so there's different kind of yeah, levels of severity there. Um, but children never really um, get past kind of six month milestones if that yeah. um, some will not make it kind of past two month milestones, even though they might live for a few years. I think there is a case of a teen or even um, slightly older um, person living with it. Um, but most will die um, in in childhood, if not in, in the neonatal period. And um, the vast majority will die in the neonatal period. So. It's Thank not you great. No. Not so you made the insanely brave decision to remove yeah. life support. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest phone calls I've ever had to make is calling our parents to say, you know, get on that plane. But they were flying from the UK. Get on the plane, but you're not going to meet him because we are withdrawing life support. And I remember my mum wailing on the phone saying, can you not just hold on? And I was like, no, mum, I can't. It's not fair. You know, he, this is this is what we've been presented with. We, we've got to let him fly it's you know it's, we can't let him hold on she was like no I understand I understand but it's just horrible um and so a, a friend of ours had had made it to Miami one of our friends Rich's best man had made it um one of our oldest friends so he was there with us um and god bless him I mean can't imagine what it was like for him to to be there with us through that as we withdrew the life support and the doctor said you know we we don't we never know um how long it will take it could take minutes or it could take days and I was like wow. days are you kidding me and uh, they were like yeah it's not uncommon it could take days but you know just enjoy the cuddles now you're gonna yep. have some time with him without any of the tubes we're gonna remove everything um so he you know just enjoy it now um and you're waiting for the crash so they, they remove all the tubes and you just wait for the crash and it didn't come he crashed a little bit but then he was okay um he was kind of you know he was breathing a little bit and um and he held on he held on all through that night he held on and and we it sounds again ridiculous that it's not like we've moved on but you expect him to crash and we we kind of put plans into place like where are we going to stay tonight and <laughs> and our friends had kind of been ringing around like trying to find us a hotel room and then we were there all night like we were just up all night just kind of taking it in turns to catch 40 winks but just sort of cuddling Leo and having a little snooze with him and talking you know give, telling him stories and then into the next day and then some more friends of ours arrived from Cayman and then I was like you know my parents fly lands in a few hours like they might make it and so you know we're kind of messaging them to be like get through customs into the hospital you're gonna you're gonna meet him you're gonna meet him and he held on to meet them he held on to meet my brother wow, who was on a really? 
Yeah. Um, and so by this point, we were we had a bit of a party in the hospital, to be honest. We had about, I yeah, found this Instagram. You have a photo on Instagram and it's yeah. beautiful. It's so lovely. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. So it was, it was his gift to us, really, that um, they all got to meet him. And um, a this is actually my top tip to anyone going through hell um, with a newborn or, or a child is make memories. We took tons of pictures and it was one of the things that one of the midwives said to me just before we left here, she said, whatever you do, just make memories. This is your story. Just make memories. And I don't think she was referring to take pictures, but she was basically saying, you know, don't be scared to to smile and kind of still enjoy yeah. your boy in whatever yeah. way you can. Um, and it is really difficult, but but we did try and it really stuck with me and it's still with me now. And I say it to other people that, you know, don't don't be scared to make memories. And we did. And I, I said to everyone when they were in the room, I was like, this is a positive place. Like, obviously, we were all bawling our eyes out. And there were moments, you know, where we weren't holding it together. But we were really trying to be positive for Leo. And we were trying to smile in the pictures. I didn't want kind of sad faces everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And... I have to say from um, that photograph, um, sorry, I'm an emotional wreck today. I couldn't get through your post last night. I was... Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, researching <laughs> to speak to yeah. you today. And oh. I, was, I was a wreck. I'm so sorry. And I'm not no, no, it together very I'm, well. I'm some today. kind of ice cream when I'm telling this story. I can't, I was making notes last night and I can't write them without boarding. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Like how I think I'm just so like, I don't know, I really want to tell this story. So I like no. to hold it together. I find it emotionally draining to tell it, but yeah, don't, don't, be, don't be sorry. I'm just so sorry. Um, but the picture which I, ref- sorry, I was referring to where there's the photo of um, Leo in the room with all of your friends and family around him, you just you just see love. It's just beautiful. Mm. It's absolutely gorgeous. So oh, gorgeous. thank you. I don't know where I'm from, gorgeous. <laughs> no, it's a really special picture. Um, yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and then, so, but he was starting to leave us. Um, and I think that that's hard as well when you kind of see your body um the body changing you know starting yeah. to swell a little bit and his, his you know he was slowing his his stats were crashing and anyone that's been in an, any sort of leaky situation knows that you live in by the stats they're like watching the monitors and, and living by the stats and they were starting to to go and we knew it would not be too too long this is on the sunday now um so we're on day nine um and we asked the family to leave we we wanted it to just be us we asked them to say their goodbyes and we wanted it to just be us but that was a really tough night because you know we were kind of we were we were all done and and he was leaving us but we still you know had some had some I'm gonna go now but we had some some kind of cuddles and and we we were singing songs to him and I was reading Winnie the Pooh I love Winnie the Pooh and people were sending in stories they were reading and um reading out loud and sending videos who we were playing those two because we'd kind of run out of you know almost things to say to each other and to him but <laughs> we're trying our best and then um yeah in the morning he was he was really going and I said to Rich I, re- I want to be holding him I want to be holding him um and he was obviously like right there next to us and then yeah he, he just died in my arms and he was gone thank you for sharing that yeah thank you and a stupid question, but where do you go from there? Um, into a, a state of, you know, grief and turmoil and everything else. Um, we stayed in Miami to go through all of the formalities of, of repatriation and everything. But 
being in the hospital with this amazing team of geneticists, they'd said to us, um, you must take blood from this child before he dies because we need you need to know, um, you need a lot of information for your future family planning. And so they did, and they sent those bloods off for, for genetic testing just to confirm the diagnosis, which it yeah. did. Um, and when we got those bloods back, um, we were sent, I think, an email, a PDF, and and we and we were desperate to be parents. We were desperate to be parents again. We wanted to bring a baby home, which I don't think is uncommon after um, a loss um, with a kind of neonatal or, or, or um, late pregnancy loss. And um, and I think we got that PDF back. And as Rich was reading it, on the bottom it said, "You qualify for family follow-up testing." And I was like. Yeah, ignored it and Rich was like no I'm gonna call them and so we called this lab somewhere in America and they were like oh yeah we don't we like don't know much about the GLDC gene and NKH we really want to know more you we can test you guys for free and I was like brilliant not really <laughs> sure like what any of that means so off we trot to the blood lab and get bloods and they get FedExed off to America and sure enough they like come back and give us a bunch of results that sort of mean nothing to us. And we went back to the paediatrician um, who had diagnosed Leo here before we left. She was the one that had originally said NKH. Yeah. And she sat down with these genetic results and explained everything to us and explained what our options were. And she basically said, you've got a one in four chance of it happening again. And I was like, yeah, 25% of losing, you know, another child in that brutal fashion is too so yeah. So, what are the other options? And pretty quickly, you get to IVF and genetic testing, which is exactly where we went. Um, luckily, a clinic um, had just opened up here in Cayman. Can't speak highly enough of them. Um, and they were able to go through everything with us. So we had to have a. a I spoke to some unbelievably smart people in America. Um, we had a gene probe built for our little family. So it's this specific test that then is um, used on embryos. So we went through the IVF process and um, cells get pulled from a, a five-day-old embryo from what I understand to be basically the outside of, of the egg white, if you like. So if the, if the yolk <laughs> is... The important bit like that's the bit that like you don't want to mess with you can take cells from from the edge from the egg white to um because that's going to become the placenta and isn't kind of integral to mm -hmm. the actual kind of baby if you like um i'm such a scientist aren't i <laughs> like, egg white, it know, makes it, no it makes loads of sense no it's good so they take these cells and ship them off on via fedex i mean the world is bonkers the fact that you can like take embryo cells and ship them off to a lab in california and, um, and then they used our gene probe to check that our embryos um, were clear of NKH. And um, we had four embryos in our first round. Sorry if I'm telling you too much of the, no. like, this wasn't the podcast. No. I find this stuff fascinating. I was probably an annoying um, client for these geneticists up in California because I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> um, so we had four embryos and one came back clear. That's Freddie. Wow. We have two carrier carriers that are in the freezer, and we had one that had both okay. mutations. So would have. Wow! Had there you go. NKH. So it's literally 
the four. Literally, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Like yeah. science right there. And how um, how long after Leo's Leo passing were you doing this? Um we were going through the genetic testing and stuff sort of three months afterwards. Wow. We ended up um transferring the embryo that is now Freddie, I think late June. And Freddie was born 14, 15 months, 14 months after Leo. So there was, I think there was a gap between the pregnancies of about five months. So it's, I mean, and we'd gone through all the genetic testing and IVF. So it was hectic. It was, it was straight into it. But, but I think, I, you know, that's what we needed to do. We just wanted mm-hmm. to get, um, get straight back into it. And A know, lot on your body as well, though. A huge amount on my body. I'm not. I'm not ready for another pregnancy just yet after kind of two two years in a row of it. Um, and that's why I laughed because at the beginning of the podcast, you remember me saying, where I was yeah. like, yeah, you know, pregnancy's been fine, but I wouldn't sign up for another nine months. <laughs> and then a few months later, I was like, damn it, <laughs> do this all again. Um, so, yeah, it was. I, I felt like I was pregnant forever. By the end of Freddie's pregnancy, I was like, this has been one hell of a slog. But, I mean, you know, there's so many kind of stories in that as well because we went on holiday at one point um in March so Leo was born in in January we went on holiday in March and it was on that holiday we were in America and we were in um where were we were we in Colorado yeah we were and um and the lab had emailed the genetics lab had emailed saying actually we need one more blood sample can you send that to us and I was like well not really, because I'm on a ski holiday and like in, you know, wherever we were, Aspen or something. And um, and we had to take a day off skiing to find a private clinic that then, you know, said that they were going to take bloods. But then when we got there, they were like, oh, no, actually, we can't do that. He's got to go down. And I was like, this is this is just a comedy now. Like, this is just ridiculous. And we ended up having to take the bloods at one place. So they actually drew the bloods, but then they weren't able to, like, test them or something that we were literally driving around oh Colorado with like two test tubes of my blood you know what? <sighs> this is this is hilarious but not hilarious no, <laughs> really. but obviously oh, you're going through all of this and grieving Leo as well in the really early yeah. stages of grief like yeah. how did how did you do that um I don't know is the short answer I think my MO was just to get on with it to try and live a really kind of grateful and positive life and take everything that kind of Leo taught us in kind of strength and courage um, and apply that to our lives but also just 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 live I, we were, I hadn't gone back to work I wasn't planning on going back to work until April so I'd taken those first few months so I think I saw those first few months as a time to to grieve get back to us but also to be able to go through all of this kind of testing and and figure out what what things meant and truth be told I'm not sure whether we whether we had decided that we were going to go through IVF so soon but we we wanted the answers straight away so yeah yeah I think it helped with the grief almost knowing that it wasn't the end of the road yeah that we could take you know everything that Leo had taught us so yes I, I I don't think we planned to do IVF so soon but the, the point was that we needed answers and so as we kind of found out 
what exactly had been wrong with Leo and what his genetic results were. As soon as you kind of have one bit of information, you want more. And then it was being offered to us because the geneticists were like, you know, you're a fascinating case. We want to know more. Um, so they so it was kind of like, okay, well, we're on this, we're on this train now, so let's just keep it going, let's keep it moving. And then at the end of the kind of genetics investigation process, we were like, well, okay, well, now we have all the answers. Let's let's try IVF. And that that might take a while, you know, you never know. We didn't know how many embryos we were gonna have. We didn't know what our odds were of having healthy embryos that then didn't have NKH. So in my head, I was like, well, this can all take years anyway and then it didn't take years it all happened really quickly which is you know kind of just how it happened but um yeah I think we were just kind of going through the motions and that was helping mm-hmm. us, us us get get past the yeah the just empty black hole we were otherwise in um but yeah I mean grief's grief sucks it's you know it never goes away so you I've seen quite to... a lot of quotes recently that you you just sort of you grow around your grief. The grief doesn't yeah. shrink. You you just sort of grow around it. Or I've had another guest describe it as you learn to like the hole that they've left. You learn to build bridges across that and and still function. Yeah, and I think you also. I think I also learned that on the days that you are having a good day, make the most of it. And when you're not just roll with it and you can write off that day and you can have a bit of a cry or you know just and that still happens to me now actually yesterday um I had to go to the hospital for for some bloods and I found it really triggering in the hospital and I didn't like it at all and I am pretty you know I'm usually pretty strong and it just the the scenario I was in just really um I, I guess I've been thinking about Leo as well because I've been preparing for the for this um for this call but um, I, did, I really didn't like it and, and I just had a good old sob on the way home and I made the decision that I wasn't going to go back to work I was just going to kind of log on later in the day and, and catch up and I think that's what you learn to do you learn to just recognize in yourself when you're having a good day and when you are brilliant get everything done that you need to get done and you know have fun and smile and celebrate and you know that was those are the days where I was like I can do this you know let's let's do the genetics let's speak to the counsellors let's you know let's let's move on with IVF and on the days where you couldn't yeah. you just don't you just have a good old cry and a moan and throw something <laughs> <in the water. laughs> and what was it like um finding out you were pregnant again amazing yeah I think yeah just you know we were just desperate to to, to bring to bring a baby home and we knew um that the embryos were boys and I desperately wanted to have another boy um so yeah just thrilled I mean obviously um a second pregnancy after a loss is always um kind of riddled with anxiety and you, you never get the the kind of naive um naive is a horrible word so I don't mean to kind of patronize you know those that have it. I think it's a gift um but you you know yeah. you lose that second that something goes wrong in a, in a pregnancy or, or with a mm-hmm. baby um but but I was thrilled and I was trying to to be happy for the, for this baby so yeah and, uh, and did the preg- did his pregnancy go well yeah yeah it was kind of very similar to Leo's to be honest um, and and I was closely monitored and everyone because it's a small island here everyone knew our story and everyone was rooting for us and you know, it felt like a it felt like the, the community's pregnancy too. Yeah. Um and everyone was thrilled that, that we were um, you know, having another and yeah, so and, and people here have been great as well. 
um, saying Leo's name, supporting some fundraising efforts that we've been doing. So I think there's a fear when you get pregnant again that people will sort of forget what happened before or forget your first child or think, oh, well, they're fine now. Yeah. Um, but people, you know, all of our friends here, and I think everyone rallied around us so well and everyone really kind of travelled Leo's journey with us that they really get that they're two, you know, Freddie and Leo, two yeah. different children and they mean a huge amount to us. Um, you know in their own right and and they really help us keep Leo's memory arrive, alive so oh, um, <laughs> alive so I wasn't um, you know I didn't that that kind of fear was was eradicated pretty quickly too that that I wasn't no absolutely him and, yeah and yeah. with Freddie um, would you talk to him about Leo I think that's probably an obvious yeah we do all the time already. actually yeah, we do. Um, we we also, there's a book that um, our friend read to Leo in hospital called No Matter What. And we read it to, um, we read it to Freddie almost every night at bedtime. We still try to, he's kind of decided that he's into our oh. books um, now as well, but we still read it regularly. And um, yeah, we, we talk about him, there's pictures of him up in our house. Um, and even actually, um, he has an annex and we're back in full-time work and I hear her talking really? about him, um, here to him. Yeah, just pointing that's him out in photos, being like, that's, that's really that. special. Um, so yeah, his name will definitely, um, definitely be spoken Amazing. around our house. And sure. some of the fundraising events you've yeah. done, I, I've seen 24-hour cycling, is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we've done some um, fundraising for just local charities that we think, you know, are kind of worthy causes and, and in some way related to um, people in the community that need support and need help in the same way that people rallied around us in our time of need. We've, we've done two now. We've done two of these ride-a-thons, so 24-hour um, spinning, basically, in teams. And, um, yeah, we've raised a 150 grand um, for two charities. Yeah, well, for three charities, actually. The first year we did it for... Um, uh, heart charity here supporting kids with CHD and then um, Special Needs Foundation and then this year um, it was a charity called Acts of Random Kindness which just support um, families in the community that, that need it um, and kids that you know kind of can't read or from from impoverished homes that need need a bit of help and um, to give them the right start in life so um, really amazing that that you know we've been able to do that, um, and that Leo's kind of leaving his mark on the world. But I'm really thankful again that you know we've got friends that it was well one particular friend that that came up with the, the idea and she brought it to me and said you know I think this would be really nice to do and 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 um, helping keep mem- Leo's memory alive. And then the owners of the spin studio that host um, this whole event jumped Aww. at it and you know said that they'd love to support it. So um, yeah, it's really credit to them. I've just been um, had the honour of, of being able to organise it with them. And we've done some other bits for the hospital as well, like some donations and stuff. So, yeah, it's been good. And I think those things help with grief as well, um, that you're you're doing something positive with, with mm-hmm. the pain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Really. I wanted to actually um, – yeah. I don't know if I could do it, um, but I need to – not be pathetic um I wanted to read something that you'd written um which I just think shows how um incredible you are your amazing um (laughs) outlook and how you can how you're trying to take his life and and use it to live positively so you um you have written um 
You can shed tears that he has gone or you can smile because he lived. You can close your eyes and pray that he'll come back or you can open your eyes and see all that he has left. Your heart can be empty because you can't see him or you can be full of the love that you shared. You can turn your back on tomorrow and live yesterday or you can be happy for tomorrow because of yesterday. You can remember him and only that he is gone or you can cherish his memory and, and let it live on. You can cry and close your mind, be empty and turn your back or you can do what he would want. Smile, open your eyes, look at the stars, love and go on. Um, oh, sorry, I got there. I think that's really well beautiful. Done. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh. Sorry, I am such a useless well, credit for that has to go to a friend of mine, Bryony, who painted a picture, actually, and she wrote that on the back. And I love it. It's, it's incredible. I think it's absolutely beautiful. So, sorry. Right. Back to... Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, at the end of the podcast, I ask uh, the same three questions, which is, if you were to have coffee with any other um, women, alive, dead, fictional, um, famous, who would it be and why? Um, so... <laughs> I was thinking about this and I was actually finding it quite difficult to choose. But currently this week, I, I should say so many people, but currently this week, I'd really like to have tea with the Queen. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm a little bit fascinated by her. I think she's, I mean, she's uber cool, isn't she, that she's been the Queen for so long. And she's lived through so much and met so many fascinating people and I think there's, a, you know, with the current controversy around the royal family yeah. and, and, and I guess their family dynamics and, and, you know, Meghan having just had a second kid and them being estranged in whatever way and being named after her. Yeah. I, just, I just find the whole thing so interesting. Um, and I know that she's been portrayed as having, you know, a, a very difficult relationship with her kids in some ways. And I don't know, I just, I'd love to have a good old chin wag with her. I assume you've um, you've watched The Crown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. No, it is. Absolutely love Very it. Very good. Um, is there anything um, you've found yourself saying to Freddie um, or Leo that your mum used to say to you? Um, I don't... I, I, I'm sure there are. I just can't think... I, my husband would probably say, yeah, no, <laughs> she's just like her. But, um, which would be no bad thing, frankly, because my mum's a legend um, and she's an incredible grandmother. But... I actually say a little prayer to Freddie every night before he goes to bed that my dad used to say to me. So I'm sorry, that's not no, that's about my mum. No, that's nice. My mum my loved it when she heard me saying it. Um, and we're not, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm a Catholic, but I'm not a very religious person in that, you know, I kind of believe in God and I do hope that Leo is in heaven. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not sort of heavily practising Catholic. Um and so it almost surprised me that that I wanted to say that prayer to Freddie. And I asked I asked Rich if he minded when I started doing it. And he was like, no, crap on. Um, and it's just a sweet little prayer that my dad, yeah, used to say to to my brother and I every night. So That's, does that count? Yeah, absolutely counts. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. And um, considering your journey, everything you've been through, is there one piece of advice um, you could share? Yeah, I think I wanted to to touch on the whole Niku thing um, because I don't want to be a Debbie Downer or put the fear of God in people, but I do think that my one piece of advice to new or or um, you know women that are pregnant is to say just consider the fact that I think it's in the US 
something like 15% of all babies born will spend some time in NICU. Oh, and that's not a small that's percentage. A huge percentage. And obviously, the vast majority of, the, majority of them survive. NICU was there to save lives. Like, you know, Leo was one of the unlucky ones. And there was a there was a, a reason why he didn't make it. And, you know, we're fortunate to know what that reason is. But all babies need help for all sorts of reasons. And I think that society and the pregnancy bandwagon and you know me social media and, and media in general have you have pregnancy down as this you know beautiful journey where you're supposed to be glowing and you know full of the joys of springs which it's not for many women and then you have a baby and there's so much focus on what to put in your hospital bag and the outfits that you're going to take the baby home in and you know have music playing and a diffuser and a face spritz <laughs> and god knows what else and like all those things are great don't get me wrong but at no point do you see people saying, when you do your hospital tour, why not ask them to show you the NICU? Because there's a 10 to 15 or 15 to 20% chance that you might have to spend a few, even if it's just a few hours, yeah. you know, I've had friends since since having Leo, I've had, we donated a chair and I can't tell you how many people stop me because this is a small island and a small community and they say, oh, I don't know you, but we, we, um, we used Leo's chair, you know, a few months ago, Aww. we had our baby and it's so sweet, but you know, my heart breaks for anyone that has to spend any time there. But often those people just have to spend a few hours directly, you know, after birth because, you know, they needed a little bit of help yeah. and they don't even spend a night in NICU. But it's still you still go through NICU and you're thrust into this NICU world that you know nothing about. That's really fucking scary and really foreign and not at all what the pregnancy blogs have told you about, you know, playing music and, and <laughs> putting your, your kid in a, in a cute outfit. Yeah. Like I hope for every pregnant woman that that's what your, you know, your newborn journey is absolutely. But I think we need to, so like I say, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not here to no. say to everyone, no, I don't, just I just, get ready for the worst. No, and actually there's a, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. There's a, um, a, yeah. a blogger in the UK who's been on the podcast, um, the Nikki mummy who asked us very, who actually spoke about something very similarly, not that long ago is, like, should we talk about NICU in antenatal classes? Should that be touched on? Mm. And I think, um, I didn't read all of the comments, but um, my own and a, a few colleagues and a few other midwives, um, you know, I think we felt strongly that, yes, it should, it should actually be discussed. Not, not in, in detail, um, but just touched on. And so it, yeah. at least the, yeah. not the seed is planted even, but just at least it's, it's in someone, it's, it's, it's been in someone's recognition at some point. So yeah, so I don't think you are being a Debbie Jammer. I think it's um I think it's very important is what I'm getting to. And I think um I think more and more women are starting as people are starting to speak out and talk about their experiences, um, that, that this is a thought that, that you know that, that that we need to be we like all parts of motherhood, like what this podcast is doing, like what your podcast is going to be doing. Yeah. Um, we're just trying to talk about everything and nothing nothing yeah. is should be hidden or taboo and we should be able to have conversations yeah. about all of these things so and I just you know just that thing of you know if you are taken into the NICU you know you are still you are still the primary carer you're still the you're, you're still the parent and you get to advocate you get to cuddle hold you know all of those things and, and and even even if it's not that even if it's as simple as having it included on on hospital tours I don't know if it is in a lot of places or not but it just I feel like it's such a miss yeah. that people 
It's, I mean, I didn't know anything about yeah. it, literally nothing. It's a tricky one on the tours because I imagine um, you wouldn't be allowed in because of infection control reasons and things. Sure, but, but at least uh, it's there. Yeah, you absolutely. Know. Yeah, this is where, yeah, 100%. And, yeah. No, I think that's very, very valid. I think you, you just live in a world otherwise of, oh, that's never going to be me. No. And yeah. hopefully not. I really hope, you know, hopefully not. But someone's got to yeah, end up in the that. Stats, the stats <laughs> show otherwise, 100%. Thank you so, so much for sharing yeah. the story. I apologise again for me. Um, just, sorry. Don't apologise. I, sometimes I feel bad that I don't cry. No, my God, no. But I don't need to feel that time. either. <laughs> it's just, um, <laughs> but thank you very I much for sharing your story. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Um, they, well, now Zoe, <laughs> I am actually going to be recording a podcast called Making It to Motherhood. Um, with my friend Zinnia so look out for that I think there is now an Instagram for making it to motherhood um, but I will share it when as and when on my channels and I am at Caribbean snowflake um, on Instagram is probably the best place and caribbeansnowflake.com actually has Leo's story and mine oh have we got a visitor ready <laughs> there we go Thank you to Maya for sharing their story with me today. What an episode and what an incredibly brave family. I'm going to close today's show with an extract from one of Maya's Instagram posts. I'm left parenting our firstborn the only way I can, by living his legacy and doing him proud by leading a positive and grateful life. I think we can all agree they're doing an absolutely brilliant job of this. I'll be back next Thursday and remember to like, rate, share and subscribe if you've enjoyed today's show. Take care. Bye-bye.